Hello again and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. And with me is Jared Riddick. Glad to be back. Master of the archive. Oh, somebody. <laughs> An acolyte. And as uh, as we're concluding our three-part series on uh, this excellent tract from Orson Pratt, we have Stephen Harper with us again. Thanks again for sticking around. You bet. Thanks for having me. So this last part three of, of this three-part cutting up, if you will, of yeah, this these are tract. Not, these are not natural divisions of <laughs> yeah. the tract. If you've, if you've been reading uh, <laughs> along with us, these are not natural divisions in the yeah. tract. So in this last one, we want to go over that there are mentions of the three and eight witness accounts, but there seems to be quite a lot of interesting stuff about how the principles of the gospel, the initial articles of faith and their relationship to one another come kind of from this tract, I, I would say. Or at least have some very, very strong relations. Yeah. So it's a little hard to tell what the genesis is of these thoughts, but this is definitely, would you say this would be one of the first printings of these ideas in this kind of format? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. So in what ways does this last part of this tract have a relationship to the Articles of Faith? Well, l- listen to this language, right? Page 24. First, we believe in God, the Eternal Father, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost, who bears record of them the same throughout all ages and forever. And then, I mean, readers who know the Articles of Faith could read through this and recognize both that this is very, very similar, but also that this is fuller. Yeah. There's a rich, you know, fuller discussion of these things. The Articles of Faith are terse by comparison, mm-hmm. not much elaboration, but Orson, by his nature, is, a, is an elaborator of theology. We believe that all mankind, by the transgression of their first parents and not by their own sins, were brought under the curse and the penalty of that transgression, which consigned them to eternal banishment from the presence of God and their bodies to an endless sleep. Right. So, so you get that that second article of faith that's so short uh, now in the Pearl of Great Price is elaborated on quite a bit here, and that's true for just about all of them. And it's this idea of we believe, we believe. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I guess, the advanced version. <laughs> the, this is what you do if you're giving a talk <laughs> yes. on them. <laughs> you want to appear smart. Pull this out. Yes. Um, <laughs> the really eloquent and precise descriptions of you know the restored version of Christianity through Joseph mm-hmm. Smith. It's a really wonderful read. It is. I was I was struck on page 26 where they discuss uh, infant baptism and salvation of children which I thought this is going to be very relevant to his readers mm-hmm. and to his listeners. Um, infant mortality was horrific in the 19th century, to say nothing of other times. And this is something that will impact them a lot. But I was like, okay, this is a book of reflection on a Book of Mormon teaching yeah. of, uh, of Mor- uh, Mormon and Moroni, but it's not something we have in ours, which I thought was... Right. That it's not as broadly applicable, but... Yeah, you wonder if, you know, the Wentworth letter, the source of... Our Articles of Faith, which is this 1842 letter. So a couple years after this, Joseph is invited by an editor from Chicago to submit Articles of Faith and his his own story of his faith, the Creed. And that's the source text for our Articles of Faith, pretty much, as we have them today. You wonder if there was something about that invitation that made made Joseph and those who helped him abbreviate them, because, you know, they're, they're much leaner and... Therefore, you know, not as uh, they don't take in the nuances and the the fullness, really, the richness of the restored doctrine, as well, in my judgment, as Orson's version mm-hmm. here. Has, has there ever been a critical study done of the Articles of Faith? James Talmadge's James book. Talmadge, James Talmadge. Uh, 
Yeah. I've thought of I remember getting a headache myself. trying to read that on my yeah. mission. I just I just I just got twenty pages in. I'm like, I gotta I need to sleep. I've thought <laughs> that it would be fun to do, but I'm not uh, I'm not smart enough to do it. It would it it would be a great idea for someone mm-hmm. to do a theological and historical investigation of the articles of faith mm-hmm. in their context. I actually one of the things that I liked about this tract is that this does feel like before it was a story. You know, you're telling this narrative, but this is the first part of this where it really gets meaty, mm-hmm. I think. And as mm-hmm. a tract, this is where I would think that people would probably get the most questions mm-hmm. from uh, as far as the actual beliefs of the church, if you were unaware. And, of course, everybody at this time was largely unaware. But I also find it interesting how developed the theology was in kind of a short time. I mean, this is only 10 years after the church was organized. And this stands up really well, even to what we teach today. It wasn't, I mean, other than some of the geography, there's not a lot that changed. Yeah, this doctrinal, you know, the geography part we could we could throw out, but this uh, doctrinal part, Articles of Faith, there's nothing in it that doesn't stand up yeah. really well. This is the restored gospel of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And it's, it's phrased beautifully. It's, it's, there's a power in the language, the pace of it, the, the weight of it. But it's not ponderous like Oliver's uh, stuff where it never gets anywhere. And look at this paragraph on page 26. You'll hear in this um, elements of several articles of faith. We believe that all mankind, in consequence of the fall, after they grew up from their infant state and come to the years of understanding, know good and evil, and are capable of obeying or disobeying a law, and that a law is given against doing evil, and that the penalty affixed is a second banishment from the presence of God, both body and spirit, after they have been redeemed from the first banishment and restored into his presence. Man, that's there's a whole bunch that's of Book thick. of Mormon in there. There's a whole bunch of Doctrine Big and Covenants revelations in there. in there. And, of course, uh, there's a whole bunch of Old Testament and New Testament in there. It's remarkable, his command of, of the, the restored gospel, meaning... He knows what the unrestored gospel says, and he knows what the restored gospel adds and what, therefore, distinguishes what he has to say here from what the Protestants of Scotland are already knowing. So it's a really powerful piece. And it's interesting to think of how this may have been uh, impacted or how he was impacted by temple theology that would come not too much after this um, be presented because, again, it seems to harmonize quite well with it, but... uh, can even hear some echoes of that throughout the wording. Yeah, and we know that, for example, that Parley, his brother, who is a big influence on him at this point in his life, has been talking temple, temple-related ideas with Joseph Smith at about the same time. It's not as clear that Orson has had those same conversations, but it wouldn't be at all a surprise, right, if Orson knows some of the earliest temple teachings already from Joseph Smith. I'm just looking at the last line and saying, therefore remember, O reader, and perish not. And that is that is a bold end to a pamphlet that we would not use today. Um, well, you can't read through this and not have some self-reflection. If you are not a member of the church or a member of the church, but in this particular case, if this was a tract, I don't know how you could read through this and not have a lot of questions mm-hmm. that, that need answering. So, yeah, I, I don't, again, we don't know how it was received, but it had to have been very powerful to those who actually took the time to read it. Definitely. All right. Well, that's part three. 
do the reading of it now and uh, thank you guys for staying tuned thank you dr harper for coming on for these last three episodes yeah thank you fellas it's been a great pleasure an interesting account of several remarkable visions and of the late discovery of ancient american records by orson pratt this is part three of three after the book was translated the lord raised up witnesses to bear testimony to the nations of its truth, who, at the close of the volume, send forth their testimony, which reads as follows. Testimony of Three Witnesses Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, unto whom this work shall come, that we, through the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, have seen the plates which contain this record, which is a record of the people of Nephi, and also of the Lamanites, their brethren and also of the people of Jared, who came from the tower which hath been spoken. And we also know that they have been translated by the gift and power of God, for his voice hath declared it unto us. Wherefore we know of a surety that the work is true. And we also testify that we have seen the engravings which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God, and not of man. And we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven, and he brought and laid before our eyes, that we beheld and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. And we know that it is by the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that we beheld and bear record that these things are true. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Nevertheless, the voice of the Lord commanded us that we should bear record of it. Wherefore, to be obedient unto the commandments of God, we bear testimony of these things. And we know that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men, and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ, and shall dwell with him eternally in the heavens. And the honor be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God. Amen. Signed by Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And also the testimony of eight witnesses. Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, unto whom this work shall come, that Joseph Smith, Jr., the translator of this work, has shown unto us the plates of which hath been spoken, which have the appearance of gold, and as many of the leaves as the said Smith has translated, we did handle with our hands, and we also saw the engravings thereon, all of which has the appearance of ancient work, and of curious workmanship. And this we bear record with words of soberness, that the said Smith has shown unto us, for we have seen and hefted, and know of a surety, that the said smith has got the plates of which we have spoken. And we give our names unto the world, to witness unto the world, that we have seen and we lie not, God bearing witness of it. Signed by Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer Jr., John Whitmer, Hiram Page, Joseph Smith Sr., Hiram Smith, and Samuel H. Smith. Also in the year 1829, Mr. Smith and Mr. Cowdery having learned the correct mode of baptism from the teachings of the Savior to the ancient Nephites, as recorded in the Book of Mormon, had a desire to be baptized. But knowing that no one had authority to administer that sacred ordinance in any denomination, they were at a loss to know how the authority was to be restored. And while calling upon the Lord with a desire to be informed on the subject, a holy angel appeared and stood before them and laid his hands upon their heads and ordained them and commanded them to baptize each other which they accordingly did. In the year 1830, a large edition of the Book of Mormon first appeared in print, 
And as some began to peruse its sacred pages, the Spirit of the Lord bore record to them that it was true, and they were obedient to its requirements by coming forth, humbly repenting before the Lord, and being immersed in water for the remission of sins, after which, by the commandment of God, hands were laid upon them in the name of the Lord for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on the 6th of April, in the year of our Lord 1830, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was organized in the town of Manchester, Ontario County, state of New York, North America. Some few were called and ordained by the spirit of revelation and prophecy, and began to preach and bear testimony as the Spirit gave them utterance. And although they were the weak things of the earth, yet they were strengthened by the Holy Ghost and gave forth their testimony in great power, by which means many were brought to repentance, and came forward with broken hearts and contrite spirits, and were immersed in water confessing their sins, and were filled with the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, and saw visions and prophesied. Devils were cast out, and the sick were healed by the prayer of faith and laying on of hands. Thus was the word confirmed unto the faithful by signs following. Thus the Lord raised up witnesses to bear testimony of his name, and lay the foundation of his kingdom in the last days. And thus the hearts of the saints were comforted, and filled with great joy. In the foregoing, we have related the most important facts concerning the visions and the ministry of the angel to Mr. Smith. The discovery of the records, their translation into the English language, and the witnesses raised up to bear testimony of the same. We have also stated when and by whom they were written, that they contain the history of nearly one half of the globe, from the earliest ages after the flood until the beginning of the fifth century of the Christian era, that this history is interspersed with many important prophecies, which unfold the great events of the last days, and that in it also is recorded the gospel in its fullness and plainness, as it was revealed by the personal ministry of Christ to the ancient Nephites. We have also given an account of the restoration of the authority in these days to administer in the holy ordinances of the gospel, and of the time of the organization of the church, and of the blessings poured out upon the same while yet in its infancy. We now proceed to give a sketch of the faith and doctrine of this church. First, we believe in God the Eternal Father, and in His Son Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost, who bears record of them, the same throughout all ages and forever. We believe that all mankind, by the transgression of their first parents, and not by their own sins, were brought under the curse and penalty of that transgression, which consigned to them an eternal banishment from the presence of God, and their bodies to an endless sleep in the dust, never more to rise, and their spirits to endless misery under the power of Satan, and that in this awful condition they were utterly lost and fallen, and had no power of their own to extricate themselves therefrom. We believe that through the sufferings, death, and atonement of Jesus Christ, all mankind, without one exception, are to be completely and fully redeemed, both body and spirit, from the endless banishment and curse to which they were consigned by Adam's transgression, and that this universal salvation and redemption of the whole human family from the endless penalty of the original sin is effected without any conditions whatsoever on their part. That is, that they are not required to believe, or repent, or be baptized, or do anything else in order to be redeemed from that penalty. For whether they believe or disbelieve, whether they repent or remain impenitent, whether they are baptized or unbaptized, whether they keep the commandments or break them, whether they are righteous or unrighteous, it will make no difference in relation to their redemption, both soul and body, 
from the penalty of Adam's transgression, the most righteous man that ever lived on the earth and the most wicked wretch of the whole human family, were both placed under the same curse, without any transgression or agency of their own. And they, both alike, will be redeemed from that curse, without any agency or conditions on their part. Paul says in Romans verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteous of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. This is the reason why all men are redeemed from the grave. This is the reason that the spirits of all men are restored to their bodies. This is the reason that all men are redeemed from their first banishment and restored into the presence of God. And this is the reason that the Savior said in John 7 verse 32, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. After this full, complete, and universal redemption, restoration, and salvation of the whole of Adam's race, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, without faith, repentance, baptism, or any other works, then all and every one of them will enjoy eternal life and happiness, never more to be banished from the presence of God, if they themselves have committed no sin. For the penalty of the original sin can have no more power over them, for Jesus hath destroyed its power, and broken the bands of the first death, and obtained the victory over the grave, and delivered its captives, and restored them from their first banishment into the presence of his Father. Hence, eternal life will be theirs, if they themselves are not found transgressors of some law. We believe that all mankind, in their infant state, are incapable of knowing good and evil, and of obeying or disobeying a law, and that therefore there is no law given to them, and that where there is no law, there is no transgression. Hence they are innocent, and if they should all die in their infant state, they would enjoy eternal life, not being transgressors themselves, neither accountable for Adam's sin. We believe that all mankind, in consequence of the fall, after they grow up from their infant state and come to the years of understanding, know good and evil, and are capable of obeying or disobeying a law, and that a law is given against doing evil, and that the penalty affixed is a second banishment from the presence of God, both body and spirit, after they have been redeemed from the first banishment and restored into his presence. We believe that the penalty of this second law can have no effect upon persons who have not had the privilege in this life of becoming acquainted therewith. For although the light that is in them teaches them good and evil, yet that light does not teach them the law against doing evil, nor the penalty thereof. And although they have done things worthy of many stripes, yet the law cannot be brought to bear against them, and its penalty be inflicted, because they can plead ignorance thereof. Therefore they will be judged, not by the revealed law which they have been ignorant of, but by the law of their conscience, the penalty thereof being a few stripes. We believe that all who have done evil, having a knowledge of the law, or afterwards in this life coming to the knowledge thereof, are under its penalty, which is not inflicted in this world, but in the world to come. Therefore, such in this world are prisoners, shut up under the sentence of the law, awaiting with awful fear for the time of judgment when the penalty shall be inflicted, consigning them to a second banishment from the presence of their Redeemer who had redeemed them from the penalty of the first law.
But, inquires the sinner, is there no way for my escape? Is my case hopeless? Can I not devise some way by which I can extricate myself from the penalty of this second law and escape this second banishment? The answer is, if thou canst hide thyself from the all-searching eye of an omnipresent God, that he shall not find thee, or if thou canst prevail with him to deny justice its claim, or if thou canst clothe thyself with power and contend with the Almighty and prevent him from executing the sentence of the law, then thou canst escape. If thou canst cause repentance or baptism in water, or any of thine own works, to atone for the least of thy transgressions, then thou canst deliver thyself from the awful penalty that awaits thee. But be assured, O sinner, that thou canst not devise any way of thine own to escape, nor do anything that will atone for thy sins. Therefore thy case is hopeless, unless God hath devised some way for thy deliverance. But do not let despair seize upon thee, for though thou art under the sentence of a broken law, and hast no power to atone for thy sins, and redeem thyself therefrom, yet there is hope in thy case. For he who gave the law has devised a way for thy deliverance. That same Jesus, who hath atoned for the original sin, and will redeem all mankind from the penalty thereof, hath also atoned for thy sins, and offered salvation and deliverance to thee on certain conditions to be complied with on thy part. We believe that the first condition to be complied with on the part of the sinner is to believe in God and in the suffering and death of his Son Jesus Christ to atone for the sins of the world and in his resurrection and ascension on high to appear in the presence of his Father to make intercessions for the children of men and in the Holy Ghost which is given to all who obey the gospel. That the second condition is to repent, that is, all who believe according to the first condition are required to come humbly before God and confess their sins with a broken heart and contrite spirit, and to turn away from them and cease from all their evil deeds, and make restitution to all they have in any way injured, as far as it is in their power. That the third condition is to be baptized by immersion in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for remission of sins, and that this ordinance is to be administered by one who is called and authorized of Jesus Christ to baptize, Otherwise, it is illegal, and of no advantage, and not accepted by him. And that is to be administered only to those persons who believe and repent according to the two preceding conditions. And that the fourth condition is to receive the laying on of hands in the name of Jesus Christ for the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that this ordinance is to be administered by the apostles, or elders, whom the Lord Jesus hath called and authorized to lay on hands. Otherwise, it is of no advantage, being illegal in the sight of God, and that it is to be administered only to those persons who believe, repent, and are baptized into this church according to the three preceding conditions. These are the first conditions of the gospel. All who comply with them receive forgiveness of sins and are made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Through these conditions, they become the adopted sons and daughters of God. Through this process, they are born again first of water, and then the Spirit, and become children of the kingdom, heirs of God, saints of the Most High, the church of the firstborn, the elect people and heirs to a celestial inheritance, eternal in the presence of God. After complying with these principles, their names are enrolled in the book of the names of the righteous. They are then required to be humble, 
to be meek and lowly in heart, to watch and pray, to deal justly, and inasmuch as they have the riches of this world, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, according to the dictates of wisdom and prudence, to comfort the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, and do all the good that is in their power. And besides all these things, they are required to meet together as often as circumstances will admit, and partake of bread and wine, in remembrance of the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus, and in short, to continue faithful to the end, in all the duties enjoined upon them by the word and spirit of Christ. It is the duty and privilege of the saints thus organized upon the everlasting gospel to believe in and enjoy all the gifts, powers, and blessings which flow from the Holy Spirit, such, for instance, as the gifts of revelation, prophecy, visions, the ministry of angels, healing the sick by the laying on of hands in the name of Jesus, the working of miracles, and in short, all the gifts as mentioned in Scripture or as enjoyed by the ancient saints. We believe that inspired apostles and prophets, together with all the officers as mentioned in the New Testament, are necessary to be in the church in these days. We believe that there has been a general and awful apostasy from the religion of the New Testament, so that all the known world have been left for centuries without the Church of Christ among them, without a priesthood authorized to administer ordinances, that every one of the churches has perverted the gospel, some in one way and some in another. For instance, almost every church has done away immersion for remission of sins. Those few who have practiced it for the remission of sins have done away the ordinance of the laying on of hands upon baptized believers for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Again, the few who have practiced this last ordinance have perverted the first, or have done away the ancient gifts and powers and blessings which flow from the Holy Spirit, or have said to inspired apostles and prophets, We have no need of you in the body in these days. Those few, again, who have believed in and contended for the miraculous gifts and powers of the Holy Spirit have perverted the ordinances or done them away. Thus all the churches preach false doctrines and pervert the gospel, and instead of having authority from God to administer its ordinances, they are under the curse of God for perverting it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. We believe that there are a few sincere, honest, and humble persons who are trying to do according to the best of their understanding. But in many respects, they err in doctrine because of false teachers and the precepts of men, and that they will receive the fullness of the gospel with gladness as soon as they hear it. The gospel in the Book of Mormon is the same as that in the New Testament and is revealed in great plainness, so that no one that reads it can misunderstand its principles. It has been revealed by the angel to be preached as a witness to all nations, first to the Gentiles and then to the Jew. Then cometh the downfall of Babylon. Thus fulfilling the vision of John, which he beheld on the Isle of Patmos, in Revelations 14, verses 6, 7, and 8. And I saw, says John, another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the foundations of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, 
because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Many revelations and prophecies have been given to this church since its rise, which have been printed and sent forth to the world. These also contain the gospel in great plainness and instructions of infinite importance to the saints. They also unfold the great events that await this generation, the terrible judgments to be poured forth upon the wicked, and the blessings and glories to be given to the righteous. We believe that God will continue to give revelations by visions, by the ministry of angels, and by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, until the saints are guided unto all truth, that is, until they come in possession of all the truth there is in existence, and are made perfect in knowledge. So long, therefore, as they are ignorant of anything past, present, or to come, so long, we believe, they will enjoy the gift of revelation. And when, in their immortal and perfect state, when they enjoy the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, when they are made perfect in one and become like their Savior, then they will be in possession of all knowledge, wisdom, and intelligence. Then all things will be theirs, whether principalities or powers, thrones or dominions, and in short, then they will be filled with all the fullness of God. And what more can they learn? What more can they know? What more can they enjoy? Then they will no longer need revelation. We believe that wherever the people enjoy the religion of the New Testament, there they enjoy visions, revelations, the ministry of angels, etc. And that wherever these blessings cease to be enjoyed, there they also cease to enjoy the religion of the New Testament. We believe that God has raised up this church in order to prepare a people for his second coming in the clouds of heaven, in power and great glory, and that then the saints who are asleep in their graves will be raised and reign with him on earth a thousand years. And now we bear testimony to all, both small and great, that the Lord of hosts hath sent us with a message of glad tidings, the everlasting gospel, to cry repentance to the nations and prepare the way of his second coming. Therefore, repent, O ye nations, both Gentiles and Jews, and cease from all your evil deeds, and come forth with broken hearts and contrite spirits, and be baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of the hands of the apostles or elders of this church. And signs shall follow them that believe, and if they continue faithful to the end, they shall be saved. But woe unto them who hearken not to the message which God has now sent, for the day of vengeance and burning is at hand, and they shall not escape. Therefore, remember, O reader, and perish not. This has been an interesting account of several remarkable visions and of the late discovery of ancient American records by Orson Pratt, published in 1840. We would like to thank our guest, Stephen Harper, for being a part of this three-part series on the Rare Possessions podcast. Please stay tuned to future episodes of this podcast by subscribing to us in the podcast app or on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.